You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. We're currently in a series called The Church, who God has called and created us to be. For more sermons and content, go to sojournmontrose.com. We started this series entitled Church, um, in which we want to discover who it is that we are called and created to be, meaning um, by nature of what God has done for us in the gospel, we are not only saved from something, but we're saved into something, and that is his body, the church. And so what we've been wanting to do is as we grow, we're, you know, we're only uh, about eight months old. As we grow, we really want to come to a good understanding of what it means to, to be the people of God, what it means to be the church, and really to begin to align ourselves, not by sort of the cultural norm of maybe what we expect church to be, but to align ourselves by really what the word of God says we are called to be. Um, And so two weeks ago, uh, we started off with a sermon entitled The People of God, in which we saw um, that the people of God are a people both to whom and through whom God reveals himself. And we saw that really that was God's intent from the very beginning, like that that's always been God's plan and that what God decrees comes to pass. And we see that the continuation of that is actually the the church, right? And so then last week, we talked about this idea of of being the church of Christ, meaning we're a place, we're a body, we're a people um, who have been built on the foundation of Christ's person and work on the cross. We've been joined together in Christ and we're grown by Christ. Like, so we went to Ephesians and we saw that, that really we, we have to be all about Jesus. Otherwise, we're, we're not the church. Otherwise, we're not the people of God. Otherwise, we're not sort of this continuation of this decree that God set forth, which was that he would have a people. And that that would be a people for his own possession, both to whom and through whom he would reveal himself. And so today what we want to do is, uh, is talk through this idea of being a place, a people um, that dwell in the fellowship of the Spirit. So that's the, that's the title of the sermon this morning, the, fellowship, uh, the fellowship of the Spirit. So the church is God's people, joined and grown by Christ through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And today we want to observe in these scriptures really how the Spirit brings his power, his presence, and his peace to the people of God in the church of Christ. So, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look through the scriptures, um, and we're going to try to de- determine or really discern what it means to be a place in which there is fellowship in the Spirit. So what we're doing in this series is, is, is trying to come to a place in which we understand the church by its creator, by its founder, God. A God who dwells in three persons, a God who is triune. And, and what we see really in that final verse in Corinthians is Paul's appeal to that, to that doctrine, to the doctrine of the Trinity, that, that God is a God in three persons, that although they are equal in essence, they are distinct in function. And that there are varying sort of different things um, that each one of them bring to the table for the church from which really we derive our identity. And so... That's one of the reasons that we wanted to really read just that, just that one verse, just that one simple verse um, from 2 Corinthians chapter 13. So here's what we got to do, though, in order to, in order to understand really what it is that, that Paul is saying in that very last verse when he gives them really what is a benediction, which means it's sort of his, it's his closing words. It's sort of his final goodbye. It's like if I could, if I could give you one thing after, after sort of all of these 13 chapters Here's, here's what my desire would be for you. These are the things that I, that I would like to see happen. And so if we take back from verse 11, it says this, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. 
greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. And so we've seen how we are the people of God united by the love of God. We've seen how we've, we've had the love of God really ultimately and finally displayed in the person and work of Jesus. But now what we want to do is understand how it is that the Spirit binds us together. Now, in, in Corinthians, just so you know, this is just so that we know the context into which Paul is writing here. The, the Corinthian church is probably the most jacked up church that Paul's ever planted. Um, and so they're, they're dealing with all kinds of different things. Like, so if, if this is a church that if you were to walk into today, you would be like, that place is insane. I'm never going back there. Like that's, that's what would happen because it, just a short list of things that are happening, right? There's division, there's infighting, there's incest, there's lawsuits between believers, um, there's elitism, there's disorder in the church gatherings. So they're getting all kinds of weird and people are just getting up and talking at random times. And it's just, it's a mess. Like the church at Corinth is a mess. And so what we see is that Paul not only writes you know, 1 Corinthians, he also writes 2 Corinthians, and really in 1 Corinthians, there's even a, an allusion to a letter that he wrote to them previously. And so, so this church is a, a church that for a long time has been sort of dysfunctional, and that Paul sort of repeatedly has to come back to and say, no, look, this is what it means to be the people of God. And he gives them all kinds of instruction all throughout the book. But what he ultimately arrives at what his ultimate desire is for this church at Corinth that is struggling on so many fronts is that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Spirit would be with them all. Because what, what Paul knows is that when those things work themselves out in the people of God, the church becomes what it was always created to be, which is a people to whom and through whom God reveals himself. So, Here's where we're going to go. We're going to talk about this idea of being in the fellowship of the Spirit. And what, is it, what are the benefits of that? What does it mean really to, to, to live into that truth? That, that the church really is the place in which there is fellowship in the Spirit of God himself. What does that mean for us? And so we're going to jump around a little bit. Uh, I don't expect you to follow along. If you um, have questions after the gathering, I'd love to, to talk to you about them. Or if you want sort of references for these scriptures, I'm more than willing to give those to you. But Acts chapter 1, verse 8, everybody's read this, right? So we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and how in the fellowship of the Spirit we have power. Right? That, that those who call on the name of Jesus for salvation are not only saved and sort of rescued into sort of this fetal position in which we wait for God to return and, and claim us, but that we've actually been given power in order to accomplish something. In Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 8, it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so this is Jesus speaking, and, and he's, about to, he's about to ascend into heaven after the resurrection. He's, he's come to his people. He's come to his apostles. He's revealed himself. He says, look, I'm alive. I'm here, but I'm, I'm going. And he says, but I'm not going to leave you alone. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And so here's the thing, you know, um, in the fellowship of the Spirit, we... We have power. We have power, the same power that, that, that raised Christ from the dead, right? Ephesians 17 says that he desires for the Ephesians to be given power by the Spirit, a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. 
having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those of us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And so what, what is he praying for the Ephesians? It's the same thing he's praying for the Corinthians. He's saying, I, I would hope, I would desire that the Spirit would dwell in you to such a degree that you would come to an understanding of the power that, that comes with that Spirit. Right? So a lot of us, when we think about the Holy Spirit, it's pretty typical for us to sort of uh, think that maybe it's just this sort of, a lot of people use the word Holy Ghost, like that he just kind of floats around and sort of sprinkles Jesus dust on people when they need it. And that, and that that's like, that's the extent of his ministry. He just kind of, he, he's, he's God's tinkerbell, right? Like that, that that's what the Holy Spirit is and does. And that on occasions, maybe perhaps if you're lucky, he, he will sprinkle a little bit of that dust on you. And for that day, or maybe for that week, or maybe for that hour, you will have the patience or the endurance or the, or the whatever it might, you might be needing in that moment in order to, to make it through. But, but what Paul is, is telling the Ephesians and, and what Paul is telling the Corinthians by, uh, you know, by this is he's telling them, look, you, you have a power, not just a passive power, not just a power that sort of dwells in you that's waiting to come out. If you just unlock it, like if you just, if you just turn the key the right way, if you jiggle it correctly, you might be able to pick that lock and release that power. But that, but that you have power in the spirit that it's been given to you because of what Jesus has done for you. But, but so here's the thing, not only, not only is that power not dormant or passive or just sort of relaxing on the inside, but that it's a power that's been given you towards an end. Like, so a lot of us like to think, you know, if we've, if we've been given something, it, it then becomes ours and we get to use it to the end that, that we want to use it, right? Like if somebody, if somebody gives me something and I choose, I want to just, I just want to break it because I feel like it, it's mine. Like I have the, I have the right to do that. But the, the power that we've been given in the Spirit is, is to be used towards, towards an end, right? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It doesn't stop there, but Jesus goes on to say, and you will be my witnesses even to the ends of the earth, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. So in the Holy Spirit, we not only have power, like we together have power, but that we have a power towards an end, which is that we might be his witnesses, like that we might proclaim the truth about who Jesus is and what he's done on our behalf in the gospel. So, we've been, we've been given power to be witnesses. So let me, let's just sort of bring it down to a more, a more applicable level for, for the, the person, like the individual here in the room. Right, many of us cling to the cross in the face of sin, but before the same cross, we cower in the face of the mission. Did you, did you get that? Like, we cling to the cross in the face of sin, but we cower before that same powerful cross in the face of the mission. Like, that we're happy to sort of sit back and receive, like, like oh, by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of works so that none can boast. But then, but then the moment when it says, oh, oh but you're going to receive power, and you will be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth. 
Like we're, we're, we're fine with sort of the power part. Like I want to live in the, in the power of the spirit. You know, I want to walk in that way, but that the spirit has not been given just sort of to prop up my, my lifestyle to sort of make me feel good until, until the day comes that, that I return and I go see Jesus, whether that's at my death or at his return, but that it's been given to me in order that it might work itself out in the witnessing to the good news of the glorious riches of God's grace towards us in Jesus. You see, here's the thing, and especially in a neighborhood like Montrose, where um, it, you know, it's not the coolest thing in the world to be a Christian here. Like, I know that. Um, not, not unfamiliar with that idea. Um, very much aware of it, actually. <laughs> but here's, you know, here's the deal. We, we walk into a church plant, we walk into a, a young church like this, and we think to ourselves, man, like, um, you know, we're just going to kind of try to try to live together. We're going to try to sort of be, be quiet and just kind of infiltrate the neighborhood, you know, like, like, like we're some sort of CIA operative. Like that this is some sort of clandestine mission to make disciples of Jesus here in Montrose. And we all have our little excuses about maybe why, maybe why we can't or why we shouldn't speak with boldness about the good news of Jesus because it's uh, offensive or maybe because uh, you're not, you don't feel like you're smart enough. Maybe you feel like you're smart enough, but you just don't know enough. Or maybe uh, you feel like uh, you're an introvert. So you should, you just don't, you're, you're automatically exempt from dealing with any kind of interpersonal relationship. <laughs> like that's that card, you know, I'm an introvert. Sorry not doing that. Or maybe, maybe you get even more spiritual about it and you say, my spiritual gift is not evangelism. He's given us evangelists. Let them do it. I'm going to sit back here and I'm going to encourage, you know, good, good job guys. Like I'm the cheerleader. I've got the pom-poms. You go and do this and, and I'll hang back here. But you'll, but you'll notice that Acts chapter one, verse eight doesn't say that he's given some the power of the spirit. It doesn't, it doesn't say that that like some of you may get it, that it might be like, you know, no. It says, but you will, but you all, but all of you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Power to do what? To be his witnesses, to make much of Jesus. So here's the thing, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm not trying to do is beat you around the head and neck area to try to get you to tell people about Jesus. That's, that's not what I'm, I'm trying to do. Although I do think there are moments in which that is appropriate. <laughs> That's not what I'm trying to do. What, what, I'm, what I'm trying to do is to get us to live into this power of the spirit, spirit that is in fellowship with us, right? To encourage you in the truth that you've been given the power of the spirit to accomplish that which you've been purposed to accomplish, Right? Like so many of us are sort of looking for that moment when like life will just get fantastically more awesome and you'll be a better witness and you'll be a better Christian and you'll do all these things better. You'll speak more clearly. You'll know the gospel better. You'll be able to explain it better. You'll, you'll know sort of presuppositional apologetics. You'll know how, how to sort of attack every, every possible question that someone could, could ask of you. But look, man, like... Paul doesn't say, I've given you presuppositional apologetics. Paul doesn't say, I've given, you, I've given you a certain amount of knowledge. Or when you reach this point, you will be able to be my witnesses. No, he says, look, I've given you the spirit that you might have power to be my witnesses. So if you're a Christian in the room, like, this should, this should be wonderful in, in so many ways. Right? Because what, what does Ephesians 2 tell us? It says that we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he's prepared in advance for us to do. 
So here's the thing. God, God absolutely gives us a task, right? He says, you're going to be my witnesses. Like, you're going to do this thing. This, this is what I have for you to do. So there is, a, there is something to be done. And yet the power to accomplish that task has been given to you in the Spirit. How awesome is that? Like that, look, like, yeah, we certainly bear some personal responsibility, but ultimately... What it comes down to is that we've been given the power of the Spirit to exercise that which God has given us to exercise, to do that which God has given us to do. That should be a, a warm blanket for us, not something that's scary. I, I want to just give you one, one really simple example, right? Because I think what a lot of us tend to do is we, we read in the Bible about all of these great things that God does. Like that's what, that's what Acts is. It's called the Acts of the Apostles, that, that book. It's all about how sort of the church starts and all these miraculous things happen. And, and these, these ordinary guys sort of set off on this, on this thing that explodes into really what, what, what has you sitting here today, which is a, a movement of the power of the Spirit causing people to, to, to graduate from death to life in the gospel. And we tend to look at these guys and we think, oh man, like they're the apostles. You know, like hands off that. They were special. They, they had, you know, they, they had extra or an extra measure or whatever it might be. But look, Acts chapter 4, verse 13 says this about Peter and John. It says this. So this is Peter, all right? The, the rock upon whom I will build my church. This is Peter. It says, now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So we tend to enshrine and sort of deify these men in the Bible, but they were nothing apart from the grace of God, the love of Jesus, and the work of the Spirit in them. Like they received power and then they went and did this stuff. You know, that word uneducated there, as, as kind and as sort of nice as it sounds, is actually translated moron. When, when they saw that they were morons, when they saw that they were common men, like with, with no, no exceptional feature or characteristic about them, they were astonished because they saw that they had been with Jesus. Have you ever noticed that it's, it's usually new Christians that, that tend to be more bold? Have you, ever, have you ever noticed sort of how they're exuberant and really empowered by the Spirit? I mean, how many of our hearts have become dull to this indwelling power of the Spirit because at every corner we've tried to tell it to sort of hush? Like that when that impulse comes up, that when we get to really be sort of excited about what it is that Jesus has done for us, and when we see how that applies to somebody else's lives, when we see their need and we want to jump into that, we say, I'm, I'm not good enough. I can't do that. I don't know enough. What if he asked me this? What if I say the wrong thing? Look, you've been given the power of the Spirit in order that you might be his witnesses. And what God decrees comes to pass. So if he says, you'll be my witnesses, you'll be his witnesses. And if he says that he's given you power, he's given you power. And that's not just sort of a, a, a measly little dose, but it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Like that, that's what Ephesians 1 tells us. So we have power in the spirit that we might be um, witnesses. So this is, this is what, the, what, what the church is. It's the, the place in which the fellowship of the Spirit happens to the degree that we actually become these witnesses. 
The, the church with, that doesn't preach the gospel, the church that doesn't witness to the good news of the glorious, uh, glorious riches of God's grace towards us in Jesus is not the church. Because it exists for something other than what it was intended to exist for, which is that we might be a chosen priesthood, a royal nation. All right, so got a little crazy on that one, sorry. Um, <laughs> So that was the, the power of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit is evident when uh, we, we are living into um, this fellowship of the Spirit that, that Paul ultimately desires for his church. Now, we want to talk about presence, right? So the Holy Spirit's presence is given that we might be the temple in which God dwells, the people among whom he is found, right? So Romans uh, chapter 8 tells us this. Let me get there real quick. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 says this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, okay? So he's, here he's making an argument, right? He's saying, if, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Skip down to verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit, capital S, of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So if we've been adopted as sons and daughters of God by the person and work of Jesus, we have the spirit. Right? Like that's, that's the argument that Paul is making. He's saying, look, if, if you have this, then, then this is, is a necessity. It's necessary. Like, like they, can't, they can't not coexist. God's presence is with us. And that's an incontestable idea. Like that's not something that, that you can sort of wiggle out from underneath. Like you can't say, I'm, you know, I've, I'm a follower of Jesus. His person and work has changed my life to the degree that I believe I've been transformed from death to life and then say, but God is not near me. But God is not close to me. No, he's, he's with you always, right? We, we tend to try to subject truth to our feelings. Like that's, that's sort of the, the, the usual um, manner in which we sort of approach our day-to-day -day lives, we come to this table and we say, I feel this way today, which thus it then follows that this must be true. Right? If, if I'm feeling depressed, it's because depressing things have happened to me. We often like to say, if we can't feel it, then it cannot be, Right? This, this oftentimes happens in the, in the romantic side of our relationships where we, where we look at one another and you're like, you know, I just don't feel that spark. I don't feel this romance today. So maybe we're just not meant to be together. And yet if I, if I were to tell my wife that, like we'd have a problem. Because if, if I operated in my life based on how I feel towards my wife in, in that particular relationship, man, we'd be married one day, divorced the next. Translate this to, to, to our relationship with God. Like if you're, if you're a believer in the room, um, all of us at some point have been sort of fraught with, most likely, our, our relationship with God and how that feels. And look, I'm not, I'm not trying to discount your feeling. We're going we're gonna to get to that in a minute. 
But look, your feelings don't negate the truth of God's word. Like, so because Marshall feels a certain way on one day, it doesn't mean that God is any less good or that God is any less near or any less close to me or that the spirit any less indwells me. That if you're a believer, that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the spirit who is a spirit of power is present in you at all times. That you can't, you cannot escape that. You can't say that that's not true of you. We like to say, if God feels far away, then he must be far away. We like to say, if I feel like God is angry with me, God must be angry with me. And yet the truth of God's word is that in Christ, Jesus is pl- that God is pleased with us. Truth will always trump our emotions. It always will. Jesus himself, in case you don't trust Paul, um, said this, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So this is the same Jesus that said to you, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And you trusted him when he said that, so shouldn't you trust him when he says this? That he's given you the Spirit, that he dwells with you? That the very presence of God dwells in you and among us as the fellowship of the Spirit? Listen, I know what it feels like to to feel far from God. So I'm not just saying believe more. I'm saying confess your unbelief, pull a King David, and pray these words. In Psalm 10, he says, why do you stand far away? But he doesn't leave it there. David reminds himself of the truth. He goes back to Psalm chapter 10. He comes to the end of that psalm and he says, The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. And so David starts off with, Yeah, it feels like you're far away, but look, I know the truth. And the truth is that you hear the desire of the afflicted. The truth is that you will incline your ear. The truth is that you will strengthen my heart. So even though I don't feel it, even though I'm not there, the truth is that the church is the place in which the fellowship of the Spirit dwells. Not only in us as individuals, as people who have been regenerated by the work of the Spirit, but as a body of believers who have been given the power of the Spirit in order to be the witnesses that God desires us to be. And so again, everything that God has called us to do, he's provided for us all that we need to accomplish in not only the power of the Spirit, but the presence of the Spirit. The God of all power is present in and among us in the Holy Spirit. He has made his dwelling place among us. Your your view of the church, your understanding of what it means to to, to be a part of a church changes when you begin to understand that this is what's true of you. Like that it's no longer just about sort of um, uh, someone's ability to preach a certain way. Everybody has their bad day at the office. That it's not so much about whether we have a, a really interesting looking graphic or that whether the music is a, a, a certain way or, or uh, we sing certain lyrics but that we've been joined together in Christ and that we've been given the power to be God's witnesses through His Spirit, which He has also given to us. 
You see, a lot of times we like to think that we've just been given forgiveness by Jesus, right? Like that if you if just come to Jesus, he'll forgive you and, and you're set. But that the abundance of God's riches towards us are, are not only in his love and in Jesus' work, but in the power of the spirit that he gives us in order to live in his very presence. Like that he makes his dwelling place among us. Look, the abundance of the riches of God's glory are, are not just wrapped up in forgiveness, although that is part of it. But look, we're, we're the people of God, the church of Christ, and the fellowship of the Spirit. And in all of those things, we gain great joy and peace when we begin to understand that that is what's true of us. So the, the, the fellowship of the Spirit not only has power, it not only has the presence of God himself among it, but the fellowship of the Spirit brings peace. It brings peace. It brings unity. So look, I'm not, and what I'm not talking about here is sort of your inner peace, although sort of transitively it should, because you begin to recognize that if you have the, the, the Spirit, then, then that means you're, you've been made right with God, not by your works, but by His like that should give you internal peace. But what I'm talking about is this peace between one another. Like that a church that is the people of God, that is the church of Christ, that is a place in which there is fellowship in the spirit is a place in which there is peace that is characterized by not strife in relationship, but by prosperity in relationship. I don't mean that, I don't mean that in the dollar sign sense. I mean that in the sense that we begin to relate with one another according to the truth about one another. Which is that we're adopted sons and daughters of the risen king. So Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3 um, say this. Actually, I'm going to take a, a verse from Ephesians 1 too. Um, Ephesians 1 says this, In him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Hallelujah. And then Ephesians 4 says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Philippians 2 verse 1 tells us, sort of says, if there's, if there's any comfort from the work of Christ, if there's any unity or any unity of mind in the Spirit, right? so he's, he's talking about this idea that there's, that there's peace in the church. Now, here's the thing. Most of us, most likely, have some form of, of, of past church experience. Some negative, some positive. Some a mix of both. Our, our first inclination, when we feel like there's disunity or there's discord uh, in the church, is to, is to believe it's because the church is somehow missing something. Like that there's something lacking, right? I mean, let, let's just look around a little bit. If you're, if you're in a neighborhood parish around here, is there strife in your neighborhood parish? Do you have problems with, with other people in the church? Do you actually attend another neighborhood parish so that you don't have to interact with that particular person? Do you think it's their fault? 
Is it an issue on, on both sides? Right? Like, are, are, if, if any of us have experienced that situation, which I, which I would guess in Sojourn, because I know Sojourn, and I know the people of Sojourn, <laughs> that that is true. <laughs> that we have all experienced that to some degree, in some way, in some form, or some fashion. And again, our, our temptation is to go there and say, or to begin to, to sort of feel discontent in, in, in the church, like among the people of God. Again, not this place, not this building, but among these people. And to begin to think to yourself, well, you know, I just don't think that church is authentic enough. Or you know what, I just don't, I just don't, I don't believe that, that they're really sincerely repentant. I don't, I don't feel like I really belong here. This doesn't feel like home to me. I feel like there's more disunity than unity. I feel like there's more discord than accord. According to this text, when we're found in disunity, when we're found in discord, it's not because something is lacking, but rather because we have chosen to live in light of our selfishness rather than light of our spirit-filled sonship and daughtership. Because it, te- it tells us here that we have unity in the Spirit. Right? Like that's, that's, what, that's what Ephesians 4 says, eager to maintain the unity of Spirit in the bond of peace. Like that that, that, that unity has been given to you, that if we've been given the Spirit, if, if we understand that that means that we have been adopted as sons and daughters and that the Spirit is the sign or the seal, the guarantee of that truth, we are. We, we should automatically move to an understanding, graduate to an understanding that we're now brothers and sisters brought into the family of God by no good works of our own. See, that's the thing. That's what's so, that's what's so really, I think, uncomfortable and probably most damnable about, about the, the sort of the modern church is that we proclaim a, a message that says that, that it's by grace, through faith, not of works that we've been saved, so that none can boast. And yet we show up on Sunday and we say, I know what that, I know what that guy did last night. Or we say, man, you know, that, that guy spoke to me in a tone that I just really didn't like, and I, I just don't think we're going to get along. And yet, if we've, if we've come to the saving knowledge of Jesus and we've been given the promised spirit, which, which th- those two things have to coexist. You, c- you can't have one and not the other. You can't say, yeah, I'm down with the Jesus thing, but this whole spirit thing I don't get, and I, don't think, it, and I think it's weird. But no, that, that if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given the power of the spirit, you have the presence of the spirit, and through that we now have peace in the spirit. That this is what the church should be characterized by, that this is what it means for us to be the fellowship of the Spirit, meaning to be a place in which the Spirit dwells, in which the power of the Spirit is nurtured, in which the Spirit empowers us to be witnesses for His sake, and we've been given His power, His presence, and His peace in order to do all those things. this This is what we're inviting you into. Like, if you're wondering what sort of what Sojourn Montrose is, is all about, if you're new, if you're a guest, we get a lot of those during the summer, apparently. Like this, this is what we want to be. Look, we, we already told you, if you were here at the beginning, we told you that we're an imperfect church. But it's our, but it's our hope. 
It's our hope in the power of the Spirit. It's our hope in the presence of the Spirit. It's our hope in the peace of the Spirit that we will be transformed day by day from one degree of glory to another, that we might be more whole, more full as the witnesses of Christ, as the people of God, the church of Christ, and the fellowship of the Spirit. That's the, this is the place that we want to be. And look, it doesn't happen by good people being better people, and it doesn't happen by bad people becoming good people. It happens by the work of Jesus transforming people's hearts and minds so that we're no longer conformed to the ways of this world, but that we're transformed by the renewal of our minds. And look, I want our minds to be renewed with the truth, the truth that we are the fellowship of the Spirit, that God has given us his own power, that God has given us his own presence, and that God has given us his own peace in the spirit to live in such a way that the glories of God's riches and grace would be made known not only in us, but through us. To this, to this neighborhood, in this city, in this state, in this country, and in this world. By the grace of God, for the glory of God. That's it. Let's pray.